Would you please pray with me? Loving God, you have so made us that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Give us a hunger for your word, and in that food satisfy our daily need. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. According to data collected by surveys and insurance companies, on average, each of us misplaces roughly nine objects per day. <laughs> this means that by the time we turn 60, we will have lost nearly 200,000 things. <laughs> you may wonder how much time we will have spent searching for all these lost things. Across our lifespan, we will spend roughly six solid months looking for missing objects. Perhaps this is why we can relate so well to those two lost and found parables that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus tells these parables, Luke says, when he hears Pharisees and scribes grumbling about the company Jesus keeps. All manner of people make up the crowd that gathers around Jesus to hear him teach, including people who have spent their lives on the fringes of society because no one wants to be associated with them. They're described as tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and scribes know that Jesus not only receives them, but actively seeks them out, even invites himself over to their homes to eat with them. Aware of their grumbling, Jesus responds, not by addressing their discontent head on, but instead by telling parables to which they might be able to relate more immediately and positively. Ultimately wanting them to broaden their understanding of who matters and who has value, Jesus begins by talking about things that he knows they already value in economic terms. What shepherd wouldn't value his sheep, the source of his income? What woman wouldn't value a silver coin worth about 10 days wages and many months of saving for the average person? While I have a harder time imagining myself searching for sheep, I can totally imagine myself cleaning my house top to bottom until I found what I was looking for. But the point of these parables is for us not only to imagine ourselves as the shepherd or the woman, but as the sheep or the coin. Even though we have heard Jesus say elsewhere in Luke's gospel, search and you will find, here in these parables, we are likely the lost, not the seekers. We are likely the lost who are sought and God is the one who seeks us until we are found. As much as I can relate to the woman who cleans her entire home to find a lost coin, I can also relate to the object who is lost and being sought. All I have to do is remember being a child. There was a children's story that both fascinated and terrified me, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble by William Steig. Perhaps you know it and remember it. Perhaps more than any other story read to me as a child, 
This one resonated with my own worry that I would become somehow separated from my parents and that they would not know where in the world to find me. Then when I became a parent, this story still resonated. The story is about a little donkey whose name was Sylvester Duncan. Sylvester lived with his mother and father, also donkeys, in a quaint home in a neighborly village. One of Sylvester's hobbies was collecting pebbles of unusual shapes and color. One rainy summer day, while he was collecting pebbles beside a river, he found that one was quite extraordinary. It was flaming red, shiny, and perfectly round like a marble. Holding and studying the marble in his hoof, he began to shiver, probably from the rain. So he said, I wish it would stop raining. All at once, it stopped raining. It occurred to Sylvester that the perfectly red pebble in his hoof had magic powers. To put it to the test, he put the pebble on the ground and said, I wish it would rain again. Nothing happened. Picking the pebble back up and holding it in his hoof, he set it again and the sky opened up with rain. So excited to show his mother and father the pebble he had found, he started to make his way home. And on his way home across Strawberry Hill, he encountered a mean, hungry lion. On his way home across Strawberry Hill, he got frightened and panicked. Holding the magic pebble, he could have wished the lion to disappear, or he could have wished himself safe at home with his parents. But instead, in his panic, he said, I wish I were a rock. Sylvester turned into a rock, and though he was safe from the lion, he was no longer able to hold the pebble in his hoof, and it fell to the ground just a couple of inches away from him. So no matter how much he had wished to be himself again, he remained a rock sitting on Strawberry Hill. The story is full of pathos. As you can imagine, back at home, Mr. and Mrs. Duncan are desperately worried because Sylvester did not return home. None of their neighbors, none of the other children in the neighborhood knew where he was. The police couldn't find him either. Even though all the dogs in the town went searching for Sylvester, sniffing behind every rock and tree and every blade of grass on Strawberry Hill, they too could not find him. As months passed, Sylvester's parents remained very sad and Sylvester grew more hopeless. He felt he would never be found and would remain a rock forever. Winter came and went. Then as spring arrived, Mr. Duncan insisted that Mrs. Duncan go on a picnic with him. He knew that even though they could not find Sylvester, they must try to live again and be happy. They made their way to Strawberry Hill and while Mr. Duncan set up their picnic, Mrs. Duncan sat on a rock. Yes, it was the rock that was Sylvester. Feeling the warmth of his own mother sitting on him, Sylvester woke from his sleep and as desperately as he wanted to let his mother know that it was him, he could not because he had no voice. So Mr. and Mrs. Duncan ate there at the spot where their son was. In fact, they placed their picnic plates and drinks on the smooth surface of the rock that was Sylvester. While there, 
Something in the grass caught Mr. Duncan's eye. It was the red pebble. Picking it up, he marveled and said, Sylvester would have loved it for his collection. Then he placed that pebble on the rock. Not knowing it was touching him, Sylvester did not give voice to his wish. It wasn't long, however, until he heard his mother say, Oh, how I wish Sylvester were here with us on this lovely day. Don't you wish it too, Father? Hearing their wishes, Sylvester joined in and wished it too. I wish I were there and myself again. And instantly, he was. You can imagine what followed, the embraces, the exclamations, the sheer joy. It is no wonder that William Steig won the Caldecott Medal for this story. As simple as each scene was, it was full of pathos, the tranquility of contentment when all was going well, the joy at discovering something extraordinary, the desperation in losing what one cherishes the most, the suspense of searching and of waiting to be found, and then finally, the immense joy of finding and of being found. In her book, Lost and Found, writer Catherine Schultz makes an observation about the experience of losing and being lost. She observes that loss instructs us by correcting our sense of scale, showing us the world as it really is, so enormous, complex, and mysterious that there is nothing too large to be lost, and conversely, no place too small for something to get lost. Loss has the power to resize us against our surroundings. We are never smaller and the world never larger than when something important goes missing. When Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, with its 239 passengers, disappeared in March of 2014, it took more than a year to find it. Did it go down in the South China Sea, somewhere along its intended route between Kuala Lumpur and Beijing? Or had it been shot down or hijacked by either the Chinese or Russian government? These were speculations until over a year later, debris from the plane was discovered further south in the Indian Ocean. One might wonder how it is possible that something as large and as closely monitored as a commercial aircraft could be lost, especially given that during the preceding 50 years, which included nearly a billion flights, only one other time did a small airplane disappear. When you lose something that matters to you, no matter how valiantly you try to keep track of it or find it, you recognize that there is nothing on this earth that cannot be lost. This is an existential realization. Insofar as we recognize and confront the limits of our will, that we are ultimately powerless to protect the things and persons we love from change and chance, it opens a way further to a spiritual choice. Will you be suspicious of the world or will you trust it? 
Will you view the world ultimately as a hostile, dangerous place that is out to get you and your loved ones? Or will you view the world ultimately as a benevolent place? While these questions may seem theoretical, they play out in our daily lives. I remember a specific moment in time when I was presented with the choice. It was my college roommate, Julie, who presented it to me. We were both first-year students and new to Memphis, where our college was located. She had a car, and so we decided to leave campus and, and go explore the city. Remember those days before any of us had GPS? Well, as the one in the passenger seat, I was given a city map and was tasked with navigating. New to Memphis, new to my roommate, new to reading maps, I began to feel anxious. Just to set expectations from the outset, I began to apologize in advance for the mistakes I would likely make as the navigator and expressed my hope that we would not get lost. That was when Julie turned to me and said, what's the big deal? I never understand why people get so worked up about getting lost. How lost could we be? We're still on the earth. <laughs> Julie has no idea how much I have savored those words, her perspective ever since then. The spiritual choice we make when we are confronted with loss or the possibility of being lost, colors much of the way we live out our lives. If we choose ultimately to fear the world and be suspicious of it, we will likely spend our lives in pursuits that gather in, defend, and preserve ourselves and the things that matter most to us. If instead we were to choose to trust the world as an ultimately good and benevolent place, what would our lives be like? The parables Jesus tells about being lost and then found give us, I believe, insight into what it might feel like. Jesus understands and expects us to understand as well what it feels like to be reunited with something precious that we thought was permanently lost. It never fails to astonish us. Given how vast and complex the world is and how many variables are at play at once, whether by chance or by effort, finding or being found makes us feel once again subject to the will of this world. But in this case, not a formidable and indifferent will, but a benevolent one. It makes us feel as though fate karma or destiny has smiled on us, that God has blessed us, and it engenders in us feelings of amazement, gratitude, wonder, and awe. We cannot help then but rejoice. Losing and being lost and finding and being found remind us that the world is vastly large and we are utterly tiny. In telling these parables, Jesus wants us to realize that no matter how tiny we feel, how lost we get, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. 
no matter how vast the earth is, nothing can keep even one person separated from the love of God. God will find us. Jesus will seek us out. And there will be such joy in finding and being found. In telling these parables, Jesus invites all of us, everyone, those who have been on the fringes and those who have been at the center, to share in the joy by finding and being found by one another. So that everyone's longing to find and to be found converges, Jesus says again, rejoice with me. Amen. Dead and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As we do each week, we offer prayer for five families in our congregation. Together, we pray with and for Jeff and Sandra Shepard, Rick and Lori Sontag, Alex Stevenson, Jean and Joe Stock, Beth Smith and Janelle Hessler, and Beth's daughter Carter. And what a joy it was yesterday for those gathered here to witness Beth and Janelle's wedding. We pray God's blessing on this holy union and the families that Beth and Janelle share. And now the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Emmanuel, God with us, how grateful we are this day that we can claim your presence, not just in this place, but on all the earth. There is no place we can go where your spirit does not meet us. Down to the darkest depths or up to the highest heights. What joy it is to find you in the morning. What relief it is to know you as the day ends. In places of strife and conflict, then we know your presence is consistent. And we pray for those this morning. We have confidence for you are there working out your peace and reconciliation. Mind all who live in fear this day, in Ukraine and Russia as war lingers, in occupied territories all around your world, in cities and communities near and far in which people live in constant fear. We pray for our partners in Nicaragua, the Philippines, Israel and Palestine, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Knowing of your presence, always give courage to those who do the long work your work of reconciling and creating conditions of peace for all, keep them out of harm's way and confident of your care. Lord, leaning on you in situations of pain and suffering, we pray this morning. We trust in your abiding presence that promises healing only you can give. Give strength to those present with the sick and the dying. Renew all their spirits and hold those who grieve in your caring hands. Knowing that you are present in conditions of injustice and working towards justice, we pray this morning, and we trust in your renewing work. 
that challenges our notions of power and makes right our relationships with all of your beloved. Give us humility that we might be bold enough to stop and tend to neighbor when no one else will. In our day in and our day out, for which we pray this morning, we rely on your steadfast grace that holds us even when we are most weary and worn. Give us enough confidence in that very grace that we can be graceful with others, and especially with ourselves. Lord, you are the good steward, giving to us your whole self so that we may know life in your abundant care. God with us, God for us, God within us, God among us. Hear our prayers this day and each day as we pray with gratitude and with joy in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is with joy and gratitude, too, that we give of ourselves and our offerings. And so, friends, I invite you in that spirit to give with generosity. Our ushers will come down with a place to collect the offering. You may also give, and those joining online may give, using the Vanco mobile phone app or by going to the church website and the Donate to SPC button or by sending your check into the church. Thank you.
Let us pray. We rejoice and give you thanks, most gracious God, for seeking and saving us. We thank you for bringing us into this joyful fellowship. Send us out in your service so that we may share with others the joy we have found in you. In gratitude we pray. Amen.
May God bless you and keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace today and forevermore. Alleluia. Amen.